Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for the privilege it is now to come and share your word today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak through me. And Father, I pray that as I I share the words you've given me today, that people will be encouraged, they'll be inspired, they'll be challenged, and they'll leave here differently as a result of what I share. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to continue on today our theme for 2023, um, In the Upper Room with Jesus. And we'll be looking at, in this series, Jesus' final few hours and moments with his disciples in that upper room. And how those moments and the things that Jesus was teaching them are so applicable to us today. There's five incredible chapters from the book of John, chapters 13 through to chapter 17 that we're going to be looking at. And these five chapters are amazingly devoted to one 24-hour period. There's so much stuff in there. I wish I was there when Jesus was teaching them at that time. It would just be so incredible to hear. But we're back again at John chapter 13. If you were here two weeks ago or tuning in two weeks ago, we started looking at this great story in John chapter 13. We're going to be reading through the first 17 verses from John 13. The words will also be up on the screen for you as well. But let's read God's Word together. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Amen. Amen. Such great stuff in this short, simple story. But let me ask you a question this morning. If someone were to ask you what it is about Christianity that makes it unique amongst the many world religions, how would you answer them? How would you answer that question? What is, it, what is it about the Christian faith that sets it apart and in doing so helps to confirm its truthfulness? What is it about Christianity that makes it so appealing to so many people? 
And this question could be answered in countless ways. And when I'm asked that question, I immediately think of the truth of the Trinity, that, that the one and only God of the Bible is also three persons, equal, each equal in power and each glory each other. So each equal in power and glory with the other. Then I think of the incarnation, the Son of Man becoming a person and Jesus. I think of the, the glorious truth of the gospel itself, that God graciously has done everything necessary in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to reconcile us, you and me, back to him. All these wonderful truths that we find in Scripture serve to testify of the reality and the glory of the Christian faith. But there is yet another truth that must be noted, one that is directly and explicitly seen in our passage in John chapter 13. And when you look closely at this story, you discover an amazing and altogether unexpected truth about Jesus. See, while the disciples were sitting there frozen and fearful, no doubt wondering who is going to get up, who is going to take up the job and assume the responsibility to take on that highly unpleasant task of washing everyone's feet. Jesus gets up, wraps that towel around his waist and proceeds to do what only household servants were expected to do. Jesus doesn't wait for them to serve him. He takes the initiative to go and serve them. And this is one of the most shocking scenes in all of the gospel of John. And it's one of the most distinctive, distinctive truths of all Christianity. See, in every other religion or sect or philosophical philosophical, that's the word I was trying to say, <laughs> philosophical movements, the leader is served by his followers. They build him or her a huge mansion. They give him or her all their money. They wait upon their leader hand and foot. They exist to make the leader comfortable. They exist to supply the leader with whatever he or she may need. They exist to provide the leader with wealth and safety or whatever luxury they need in that moment. In every other religion, the followers serve, wait upon, make provision for, and give their possessions to the leader, but not in Christianity. Jesus did not come to be served by others, but he came to serve them. Jesus does not lead by being served. Jesus leads by serving. Yes. And I want to provide you today, in this room watching online, a broad biblical framework for understanding the underlying meaning of John chapter 13 and its relevance for you and me here today. And the point of this passage that we read is fairly straightforward. Jesus, in his humility, serves his followers by washing their feet so that they, the disciples, and we today, in turn, as his representatives on earth, might have an example of how, of how they and us also, in the power that God supplies us, might serve other people. Beneath and behind what we read in John 13 is, this, is that singular truth that makes Christianity differ from every other religion or philosophy. It is stated by Paul in his speech on Mars Hill and also by Jesus himself. When we read the words of Paul in Acts 17, verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, gives him, he, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Let me put this in as simple and straightforward terms that I can. Let me tell you today, God has no needs that you and I can meet. God has no wounds that you or I can heal. God has no deformities that you and I can rectify. God does not need information, strength, counsel, service, support, sustenance, food, water, money, or our resources. He needs none of those things. God didn't create the world so that he could have you. He created the world so that you could have him. God didn't create the world so that you and I could somehow meet his needs. He created the world so that he could glorify himself by meeting our needs. In reality, God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He lacks nothing. There isn't anything that we can give him or do for him that he doesn't already have by virtue of the fact that he is simply God. See, we cannot serve him as if he was needy. We cannot give to him as if he was lacking. We cannot supply to him as if he was depleted. We cannot support him as if he was dependent, empower him as if he was weak, inform him as if he was ignorant, or heal him as if he was wounded. To relate to God as this, as this was not true, is to insult and dishonor God. So if you, if you relate to God like that, it's simply not true, and it dishonors God. And nothing could be any clearer than this. If you come to God in order to, in order to serve Him, as if He were needful of you and what you have to offer, let me tell you, you insult Him to the core, you dishonor Him with every breath, word, and physical gesture that you have See, what comes to mind when you think about serving another person? Clearly, it's their need, whether that be your physical performance of some task for which they either lack the strength or the time, or maybe it's your emotional support during a season of distress and depression, or maybe you're offering your monetary aid during a time of financial crisis or stress, or your encouragement during a time of despondency and despair. Service can come in any number of forums, but in every instance it's important because the one being served is lacking in something, in some capacity, or is needy for something else. And therefore what happens then is, invariably, the person who serves, the person who's doing all the giving, they're the one that gets magnified. The, the person who serves is put on display as being generous or kind or strong or resourceful. And the person who is served, receiving the, the service, is revealed as weak or deficient or depleted or in distress. Do you not see then, when you think about that, that any time you propose to serve God, that you somehow dishonor Him? To come to God as if He were needy and lack, and your service was designed to somehow bolster Him up and provide for Him and supply what He lacks, that is just simply drawing attention to yourselves. Far from glorifying God, serving God in this way, demeans and dishonors and detracts from His glory. But I can hear you thinking, I can hear you thinking, but Stephen, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible describe us as being the servants of God? Are we not repeatedly in Scripture commanded to serve Him? So how can you then say that serving God is dishonoring to God? Well, Paul himself called, called himself a bond servant of Jesus, and he exhorted the church in Rome to serve the Lord. So we must begin by defining what it means to be God's servants, and be God's servants without belittling him as needful of us. First of all, though, we're called God's servants. Why? Because he owns us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 reminds us that we have been bought at a price. 
We serve God in the sense that we acknowledge His ownership, His ownership of us and His lordship over us, and we offer willing submission to God's claim on our lives. Secondly, we are called God's servants insofar as we submit to His authority and we acknowledge His right to tell us to do whatever He pleases. And often we have mistakenly interpreted God's commands as directors for how we should or how we are to serve Him, when in fact they are God's way of defining how He wants to serve us. Jesus does not need our help. He commands our obedience. And then amazingly, He gives us what we need. He helps us. He offers His help to us. That is why obedience to Jesus is not hard. Jesus tells us that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Why? Because whatever God requires, He provides. He always provides. The God who commands is the God who mobilizes all of His inexhaustible resources and divine energy on behalf of those who wait on Him. This radical call to commitment and obedience to everything that's commanded in Scripture is not something that we do for Him, but things that He enables us to do for others. And the reason that we may confidently sacrifice ourselves in the service of others is because Jesus Himself will sacrifice Himself in serving us. He has promised to serve us by sustaining our will as we risk loving those people who might not love us back. There is nothing to which He calls us that He does not gladly and with unwavering un, uh, consistency provide, promise to provide that which we, we, we may fulfill. He'll give us everything. Let's consider our story here in John 13, and we'll read at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You notice in that passage, it doesn't say, I've washed your feet so that you in turn might wash my feet. Nor does it say, I've washed your feet so that you will love me enough to do things for me, the things that I need you to do. He doesn't say that either. Rather, he serves as the disciples so they will have an example and they also have the power to go and serve others. Not serve Jesus, but to go and serve others. So yes, serve God, but not because you believe that your service supplies God with what he otherwise lacks. See, if the motivation for your service is your belief that God is needy and dependent on you, then let me tell you, you're dishonoring him. But if your service is grounded in your confidence that whatever you do or offer, offer to him is simply returning what he has already given you or done in you or through you, then you start to honor him. God can't be served because he has no deficiencies that need to be replenished. Instead, we are the ones that have the deficiencies, and He is infinite in wisdom and power, and, and He's ready to serve us. He has the resources. We have the needs. So how do we then go about it? How do we go about serving God without somehow belittling Him? Well, we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, at verse 10. <coughs> it says there, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks as you do so as one who speaks the very words of God, if anyone serves as you do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So in other words, by all means serve God, but always as the one who receives, 
not as the one who gives. Serve as a recipient, not as the donor. Serve as the beneficiary, not as the benefactor. His purpose in the earth is not sustained by our energy. Rather, it's total opposite. We are sustained and strengthened by His. His purposes in the earth, it's just incredible stuff. It blows my mind. See, we have nothing of value that is not already His by right. Nothing. Nothing. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Here, Jesus makes a claim that is totally and utterly unique among other religious leaders or teachers. See, Jesus is not just another philosopher or religious zealot with a set of rules who's trying to drum up some support and drum up a fallen of men and women who will wait on him hand and foot. Jesus says to his followers, I didn't come to the earth so that you could serve me. I came so that I might serve you. Jesus didn't come looking for people to work for him or to wash his feet. He came to work for us. He came to serve us. Jesus didn't come to recruit you to meet God's needs. Let me tell you, God has no needs. Jesus came to bring you the resources of God. Why? To meet your needs. He reigns on high to meet your needs and to make you happy in Him forever. And in a passage that virtually drips, I think, with divine sarcasm, God slaps our arrogance in the face when He says in Psalm 50 and verse 12, And verse 15, he says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And then it says in verse 15, Call on me in a day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. See, in in this psalm, God is saying to us, You don't glorify me by trying to feed me or bringing me things that you think I lack. You glorify me in your moment of trouble and desperation by coming to him. I deliver you, I rescue you. In that way, I get glorified and you are set free. See, when we come to God for rescue and deliverance and help in our time of need, let me tell you, everybody wins. You get help and rescue, God gets glorified. Everybody wins. Let me clear up once and for all, though, this horrible, horrific caricature of God that some people might have. Let me tell you, God is not some sort of celestial bully who puts his strength on display by grinding into submission human beings who are weaker than he is. God is a loving Heavenly Father whose greatest joy is putting his greatness and glory on display. He offers himself to us as an inexhaustible reservoir of power and energy so that we can do for others that which he has commanded us to do. We honor God not by pretending to to give Him what we arrogantly think He needs, but by praying and posturing ourselves to receive all that He has obtained for us in Jesus. Why? Because the very heart of God's glory is in is the fullness and abundance of grace that overflows in mercy to needy people like you and me. God will gladly receive from us only that which reveals our dependency and His all-sufficiency. Think about how that relates to our worship when you come to church or whenever you worship. See, for years and years, I used to view my worship as a time during which I would give myself to God. But worship is primarily a craving for God. Worship is me, as you and I, declaring to the world that God is my all in all, that He alone can quench our thirst, the thirst of our soul, and satisfy the hunger of our, our hearts. Like Gregor asked, said earlier when he shared that message during worship, how many of you came here today tired and broken, 
empty, weak, filled with worry, filled with doubt, saying in your hearts, I, I, I can't possibly worship God today. I've got nothing to give. I would just say good. Sometimes that's a great place to be. See, David had this in mind when, when he, he compared his yearning for God with the, the vivid imagery of a deer in the desert land panting for life-giving water. And we read in Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. See, the, the oasis says to the, the weary, worn-out deer, what did, what did you bring me today that I might be honored in you? To which the deer just simply responds, only one thing, my thirst. Only this, that if I don't drink from the water that you supply, I'll die. And the focus in this picture is not on the deer. It should be on the water, not the deer. It's on the cool, refreshing, sustaining properties of the desert stream that all eyes are fixed. The deer brings nothing to the stream but its desperation and its thirst. And this is how we must come to God when we worship Desperate, thirsty, hungry, yearning, and dependent. You are the thirsty deer, and God is the overflowing spring. You are the lost sheep, and God is the good shepherd. Let me tell you, self-sufficient people who think they can supply God with what he lacks, they're just simply deluding themselves. But if you're weak, helpless, sinful, and know that any good you do, you need God's help to do it. And this comes as the best news in the world. Thank you, Jesus. I need that every day. Every single day. Anything good that I do comes from Jesus working through me. It's not me on my own. I need him. God is a kind of God who cannot be served, but he loves to serve. To those who feel morally self-sufficient, this is bad news. It threatens to take away our basis for boasting about how good we are. But to those who feel morally desperate and hopeless before a holy and infinitely righteous God, let me tell you, this is good news indeed. The bottom line is that you and I must come to worship hungry. We must, come with, we must not come with our hands full of goodies and gifts thinking that worship is fundamentally where we serve and feed God. God is not in need of us. We are in need of Him. Come with your open hands and an empty belly and let Him honor Himself by filling you. Come and focus on your need for God and exalt Him by declaring that He alone satisfies your soul and meets the needs of your heart. And as the band comes and we start to wrap this message up. So when you come to worship, to, to God in worship or in prayer, can I encourage you to come this way? Come confessing your inability to do or offer anything that will empower God, that will enrich God, that will enhance God, or expand God, come with a heartfelt gratitude to God for the fact that whatever you own, whatever you are, whatever you have accomplished or hope to accomplish is all from Him, and all of it is a gift of grace. We don't deserve any of it, but He freely gives it to us by grace. Come declaring in your heart and aloud that if you serve, it is in the strength that God supplies. If you give money, it's from the wealth that God has enabled you to earn. It's if, if it's praise of who he is, it's from the salvation and knowledge for all that he has provided for you and me and Jesus. Come to declare and celebrate the all-sufficiency of God in meeting your every need. You praise his love because if he were not living, you would justly and eternally be condemned. You praise his power because if he were weak, you would have no hope. No hope that he would 
uh, fulfill the promises that he has given us. You praise his forgiven mercy because apart from the, the, his gracious determination to wash you clean in the blood of Jesus, you will still be in your sin and you will still be hopelessly lost. Come with an empty cup and say, God, glorify yourself by filling it to overflowing. Come with a weak and wandering heart and say, God, glorify yourself by strengthening me to do your will and remain faithful to your ways. Come help us and say, God, glorify yourself by delivering me from my enemies and my troubles. Come with your son and say, God, glorify yourself by setting me free from the bondage to my flesh and breaking that grip of lust and envy and greed that's in my life. Come with your hunger for pleasure and joy and say, God, glorify yourself by filling me with the fullness of your joy. God, glorify yourself by granting me the pleasures that will never, ever end. God, glorify yourself by satisfying my heart with yourself. So come. Come. Come and in faith, let Jesus serve you by washing your feet so that you can know how to wash the feet of others. And you know, these passages in John, it so challenged me as I've been reading and studying and, 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 and surface level, it just seems simple. Jesus washed his disciples' feet so that we should go and do the same. But when you dig below the surface, there's so much more in these passages, so much more that Jesus is teaching us. I don't know about you, but I feel challenged just preparing these messages. I'm challenged. Two weeks ago, we were thinking about Judas and how Jesus still washed his feet. And that challenged me to the core about how I treat others and how I serve others. And today, I'm challenged about how my attitude to serving is, I don't come and serve because God needs, needs me somehow. I come and serve because God works in me and through me and supplies all that I need so that then I can go in response to what he's done for me and serve other people. It's incredible what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done in my life and wants to do in your life. But all of that starts, it all starts by acknowledging your need for Jesus in your life. Now I want to give you that opportunity today, this morning, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, and Jesus would love to have a relationship with you. All of that stuff that we have in the background and the baggage that we carry for the past, it's all been dealt with already. Jesus has dealt with a whole lot. Too often we walk about carrying these big backpacks of guilt and shame and all the stuff that held us back, the stuff that we know we've done in the past, pulling us backwards rather than moving forward. And Jesus promises us that he wants to give us life, life in all its abundance. And that just starts with a simple prayer, saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry for the the things I've done wrong in the past. I just pray you come into my life and make me a new creation, like your word says. I thank you that you said that when I pray, you will forgive all my sins. I tell you, if that's you today, if you're in this room or you're watching online, I would love to be able to pray for you so you can give yourself to Jesus and he can start to work and serve you. Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and he wants to serve you. And what a better way to serve you than making it possible for you to have a brand new life with him. So every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room or you're watching online, I would love to pray for you today. And if that's you, you say, Stephen, pray for me. I would love to, to meet Jesus today for the first time. I would love to have that brand new life so that Jesus can start serving me and to help me then to go on and serve others. If that's you, I just encourage you to pop your hand up in this room. If you're watching online, you can scan the QR code that will be up on the screen. Give us your details. We'd love to pray for you. 
We're not going to embarrass you. We're just going to give you a Bible. We're going to help you in that journey, what it means to have that new life. Is anybody in this room that says, Stephen, pray for me today? Just pop your hand up and I'll see it. I'm not going to embarrass you. Maybe you're in this room and you're watching online and you've been challenged like I've been challenged about my motivation for serving, thinking that I'm coming to serve God as if he somehow needs me. And if you've been challenged by that, today I would love to pray for all of us in Found Church so that we can then have the right motivation for our service. We can go and we can serve Jesus out of the abundance that he's poured into us so that as he washes our feet, we can then go and wash other people's feet. So let me pray for us today as a church. Father, I just thank you for the amazing truths that we find in your word. We thank you for the challenges that we find there. Father, we just thank you that as we look below the surface of of these great, incredible encounters Jesus had with his disciples and we see what it is you're saying to us and how it's applicable to our lives. And so Jesus, I pray today that as we think about our own individual service, as we serve others, as we think about how we serve as a church collectively, Jesus, I pray that you'd be showing us the areas of our life where we're doing it for the, with the wrong motives, as if we're trying to make ourselves look good, as if we're trying to supply something that you need. We thank you, God, that you are all-powerful and you have everything, all the resources of heaven, ready to help in every single situation and, and, and task that we find ourselves in. Father, we want to be obedient to what you want us to do. And so, Jesus, as we follow you and as you direct our paths, we thank you that you will supply all of our needs, all of your riches, and you will help us to do the things that you would have us do in our communities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And Father, we pray that we all have have that correct attitude as we come and serve you. Serve you in a way that brings you the glory, brings you the honor and the praise. It's not about us, but it's all about you. And so, Jesus, I pray today you'll help us to do that. Help us to give you all that you deserve through our service and and working and and doing things for you. And so, Father, I just pray your blessings upon all of us today as we take this on board and we apply it to our lives in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.